Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. Well, we're already into our second month of Highways Voices podcasts, and again today we're talking about road maintenance and technological improvements to road surfaces. I know that there's a street lighting scheme going on on quite a big junction and I've got it in for surfacing so I'm delaying my surfacing or we're thinking of giving my surfacing funding to the people that are doing the street lighting scheme to actually do it all as one job. Taking construction technologies and techniques that can then be taken back to highways to build better quality longer lasting roads. Adding a layer of knowledge to your day it's Highways Voices. Highways Voices the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Welcome along Adrian Tatum my colleague here at Highways News joins me as always and he'll be leading our chats with two experts on highways surfaces and maintenance Diane Ware of Wiltshire County Council and Campbell Waddle from R3 Limited. But before that, hello, Adrian. What's caught your eye in the news on Highways News this week? Well, there hasn't been much attention given to major route networks in recent years, but certainly this week when Midlands Connect announced they will provide funding to six local authorities to investigate feasibilities for improvement on their major route network. There is substantial grounds for optimism in the future of the UK streetwork sector as well, according to a new report by One Network. And Highways England have launched a public consultation on the motorway driving element of the highway code. Thanks, Adrian. Um, Other things to look out for on the Highways News website, a type of driverless vehicle designed to reduce traffic congestion has been found to have the opposite effect, according to researchers at the University of Western Australia. Some news that came out in the papers at the weekend about flexible rail tickets. And if you look at our story, there's a link to a fantastic speech by a chap called Rory Sutherland from Ogilvy, who's a leading behavioural scientist who uh, mentions how Victorian the whole idea of a five-day-a-week commuter season ticket is, and that was when he spoke way before the pandemic. So uh, plenty of interesting stuff to find on there. I'll put a link to it on the news story. And uh, close to my heart, ITS UK, which I do some work with, uh, have launched a membership drive to uh, grow their membership. Uh, If you're a member of ITS UK, have a look because there are are ways of uh, getting money for charity as part of uh, recruiting new members. If you're not a member of ITS UK, you really should consider uh, joining because even you find it interesting, don't you, Adrian? Yes, ITS is a fantastic membership association. So much development in that sector over the last few years and and obviously more to come with driverless technology, including advancement in, in traffic management technologies as well. Coming up, we'll be talking about how you can hear a sort of live Highways Voices here on the Highways News website, and we'll have details of the Transport Technology Forum conference. But let's get on and hear from our first guests. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. Last week, we talked about road maintenance funding with the RSTA and ASI Solutions, but we wanted to get a local authority view here on Highways Voices. So Adrian and I caught up with Diane Ware, who's Principal Technical Officer, Highways at Wiltshire Council. And we started by asking her what she thought about a potential budget cut. Well, as is always the one that disappears down the hole, isn't it? It's historically that we've uh, we've been the first one to be hit when there's any... Uh, funding reductions 
because of that, I've done three or four different budget scenarios. So I've got one where I do everything I want to do, which is about £28 million, down to one that's the bare minimum, which was about £12 million. So I had them all set up, ready to go. Basically, they were about getting rid of the nice stuff. What can we actually chop? What have we really got to do? And how do we keep the asset going forwards, as well as looking at all of that other stuff that's going on? Because yeah, we've got bridges, schemes and all of that sort of stuff. So it's trying to keep that tie in with those, as well as doing the uh, normal run-of-the-mill stuff that we have to do. And how, how will you mitigate that in, in your programmes? What, what, you, what will you see as the priority? We're trying to sort of like be one asset. You know, we've, we've got the road, we've got the footpath, you've got your street lighting, you've got everything else that's going on with that. So it's it's looking at this big collaborative programme of everything that's going on. So we're seeing if we can share the network, pushing stuff forward, sliding stuff back. Typical example is I know that there's a street lighting scheme going on on quite a big junction and I've got it in for surfacing so I'm delaying my surfacing or we're thinking of giving my surfacing funding to the people that are doing the street lighting scheme to actually do it all as one job so we're trying to reduce our costs that way we're looking at stuff like holding treatments if we can't do anything this year we've got to try and hold it so it doesn't fall apart and we're sort of like looking at early interventions try to look at all of that stuff that actually it's not in very good nick already would leaving it another year really matter but there's those other sites where actually leaving it another year does really matter and you have to do it now so i've got some uh, members of our atkins team who are consultants i've got them at the moment running around having a look at some of the sites that we're thinking hmm does this really need doing it or can we push it out? So it's, it's all in the balance at the moment, our mitigation of what we can do and what we can't do. Why do you think early intervention approaches, which you mentioned just now, are necessary as part of a, a wide ranging strategy that we've, been, that we've been talking about? It's like looking after your house, isn't it? I mean, you, you've got something that's in a good condition and you need to keep that in a good condition with roads and stuff. You know, it doesn't matter if it's not trafficked, it will still fail because the sunlight gets to it, the frost gets to it, the water gets to it. So keeping those in a good condition in a cost-effective way is the only way to go. Because what we're trying to do is we're looking at our ambers at the moment because our RCI for our A roads, our B and C and our own classifieds are actually around 2 and 3%. But our ambers, for our own classified, we got 16%. And our A roads, we got 22%. And our B and C roads, we got 29%. So they're the ones that are at that actual early intervention level that we need to start looking at and trying to not let the greens go amber red, but keeping everything so that we need to spend minimal amounts of money on them, keeping them safe keeping them in a good condition so that we'll eventually get to a stage where hopefully all of our network will be around 1% red. And what I'm trying to do is get all of our ambers down to about 15% amber. So using the inhibitors, which are really cost effective on a five or a six year programme to bring down costs in the future, we have to look now at bringing down costs in the future because if we don't do it we never will and we'll never catch up and you've always got those roads that are poor all the roads that are poor are going to 
staple, but you've got those ambers, those ones on the just about to go that you need to be concentrating on, but you also need to be concentrating on those ones that are going from your greens to your ambers. So it's it's a bit of a balance. And um, yeah, if we carry on like we are, we're still going to be spending 28, 29 million pound a year. We want to get that down to a reasonable level where we want to start spending stuff on the footways and back spending on all the nice stuff again. So in terms, in terms of maintenance in general, what, what would be your immediate priorities in, in the county over the next few years? Our actual road network isn't actually in that bad a condition. What we've got in Wiltshire is we've got varying geology. So it's basically the central area of Wiltshire is quite hard and the north and south are very wet and we've got some shifting sands and all of that sort of stuff. So what I want to do, we've got 18 area boards and each area board has got a different geology, therefore the roads are in different conditions. So what I'm doing over the next five years is I'm actually targeting my budget at those area boards where they've got poor condition roads. So we've got area boards, they're generally around about 15%, which is where I want them to be. And we've got other area boards that are like 33, 34%. So that's where I'm pushing the money. But those area boards that are in the good condition, that's where I'm putting inhibitor schemes and those early treatments. And I'm looking at perfect timing, surface dressing treatments as well. Diane, this is Paul just butting in again. Last week on the podcast, we spoke about the importance of using cost-effective and sustainable surface treatments as part of a wide-ranging asset management strategy. How are you looking to introduce a more sustainable approach to maintenance within Wiltshire? Our current contracts that we have are fairly new. They only went out in June last year, and that was just after Wiltshire said that we want to be carbon zero by 2030. So in all of the contracts that are going out at the moment, the carbon savings have got really high KPIs against them. So our contractors are using this year as a baseline to be working from. That's in carbon savings and cost savings. We're already looking at warm mix. I mean, Wiltshire's been using warm mix since 2015. We've used that quite successfully. And that's got reasonable carbon savings at the moment. But what we need is for other authorities to start using the warm mix as well, because it might be saving me in carbon, but it's not actually saving me money in, you know, in, in the long run because it's costing a little bit more for me at the moment because the coating plants have to lower the temperatures for my loads to come in. And then obviously they've got another client that comes in and wants normal mixed asphalt so the temperatures in the coating plant have to go up again to cope with that so yeah I'm, I'm getting a little bit of a um, uplift on my costs for my carbon friendly materials that I'm using this year's a baseline for all our contractors our contractors have been told you must go away and find ways of reducing our carbon footprint what we're also doing as well because Wiltshire doesn't have a for our surfacing we don't actually have a term maintenance contract we have term maintenance contractors. Uh, we have our surfacing contractor and our surface dressing contractor who, who are direct to us. They're constantly being asked, how can we do this? How can we do this better? But what we're also doing with Milkshire is we're looking at 
all of that other stuff, inhibitors, rejuvenators, all of that sort of surface treatment as well. We've currently got some framework contracts going out for inhibitors. So we're starting to use those going forwards. For instance, this year I've got five inhibitor sites, which cover about four kilometres of road, which is about 24,000 square metres. The issue that I have getting that across to the area engineers and the councillors is, well, we've got some roads that are in poor condition. Why are you doing that? Why can't you do these other roads that are in bad condition? And it's like, well, again, if you can't get these sites in a holding treatment, yeah, to keep them rolling over, you know, on a five or six year cycle, you're never going to do it. So I've actually put it in in the plan and it will be increasing every year. So I've, I've sort of like put in some more unusual treatments, some more carbon friendly treatments. We're using thicker surfacing as well. Um, we're using some modified bitumens which allow us to put surfacing down thicker so we can lay 10 mil at 50 mil. We can we got sites, some urban sites where we'd be laying 14 mil at about 75 mil thick. So the whole carbon savings and the way of making things more sustainable, you know, especially using a thicker surface, because if you if you think if you've got a thicker surface, then the water's not going to get in quite so much. It's going to be so much more rigid if, if it's the right binders. We're looking at all of those sorts of different ways of doing stuff. And our contractors, sometimes they're a little bit old school. It's all about trying it out in the right places. So we are trying different ways of doing stuff. And it's that old saying, isn't it? If you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always got. And it's, you know, the only way that you evolve, it's not the strongest that evolve. It's the ones that play and you know, even making mistakes, we evolve and we manage to do things better. So that is the plan going forwards. So, Diane, to what extent is technology driving those decisions? Technologies and a scientific answer to a question is is really helpful for us because I, you know, I've got all this stuff going on in my head. And I know when a road's going to fail, when I can look at a road and think, oh, I need to be doing something to that in the next couple of years, because otherwise it's going to go pop. Um, And having having the scanner, having the um, all of the machine surveys that we use these days, all of that information that they give us back, I can look at several sites and I can put them in a priority order. And I can I can say, well, actually, that one's on a route to a school that one's an A road, that one's, oh my God, the diversion for this one's 70 miles. So yeah, I'm going to have to do that soon. So I don't shut it for three weeks and have to reconstruct it. So using all of the scanner type surveys that we've got is really useful in evidencing why I'm doing what I'm doing when I'm doing. And we're also starting to use, and we have been capturing over the last couple of years, we're doing LIDAR surveys of the network. We've got a company going around doing LIDAR surveys, which are really, really accurate. And they also do a panoramic video as well. So it's a bit like Google Earth, but you can measure stuff because you've got the LIDAR, but you can also have a look at the back of the signs. So you can you, know, you, you can move yourself down the road. You can look at the back of the signs. You can look at curb heights. You can measure gullies. So technology these days, I think, is key because even if what I use it for is a bit of a tool 
to make sure that the contractor's doing everything right as well, because I can go on last year's LIDAR survey and PANO survey and say, well, actually, you've put that gully in a little bit too high. The water's not getting it to it properly because it was this high last year and now it's that high this year. And we can look at centre lines and we can look at crowns and all of that sort of stuff to enable it to be so much easier. So we don't have to go out on site anymore with a lot of this new technology and you can also see where the changes are so if you get a member of the public for instance that says you've done all this surfacing now my house is flooding and you can see from google it's been flooding for a few years because you can see the wet outside the front of their house and things using the lidar survey type stuff you can actually put little dots down the road and pick up all the levels and say well actually the water always flowed there so sorry go away here's the evidence so yeah using new technology for all of this planning, aftercare, the whole lot really, really helps. Diane Ware is Principal Technical Officer at Wiltshire Council, talking in a lot of sense. And if you know Diane, that's pretty normal for her. Um, before our next guest, let me just mark your card for the Transport Technology Forum Conference, which takes place over the next three days with a variety of very focused uh, sessions based on things like procurement and funding. There's one about London councils. There's talking about work with Innovate UK and then the future of traffic based on data that the Transport Technology Forum have been gathering now for nigh on a year. Uh, really interesting sessions over the next three days. You'll find out all the details about them on highwaysnews.com. We are the media partner for the event and uh, we'll be hosting uh, a couple of live radio style shows streaming audio between seven and eight on Wednesday the 3rd and Thursday the 4th of March. Uh, it's being nicknamed TT FM, Transport Technology Forum Matters. Andy Graham of White Willow Consulting will be joining me and uh, our guests on Wednesday will be Michael Rod, who uh, you may remember if you're slightly older and possibly north of 50 as a leading presenter on Tomorrow's World and he was also on Screen Test and then on Thursday we'll be hearing from two former transport ministers called Stephen. Stephen Norris, uh, who was Conservative Transport Minister under John Major and Stephen Ladyman, who was Labour Transport Minister under Tony Blair. They'll be giving their ministerial memories on Thursday on TTFM. Do join us. Uh, should be a lot of fun. And in fact, I might nick some of the uh, interviews and put them on future Highways Voices. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Highwaysnews.com. Now, our next guest is Campbell Waddle, who's from R3 Limited, which is working on research and surfaces around road surface testing, which is something that hasn't necessarily been leaping forward in the recent past. So Adrian and I started by asking him about his company. R3, we are quite a new business. We're a specialist consultancy and testing service for roads, runways and racetracks, hence the, the R3. We work in partnership with Ulster University and have access to their highways laboratory. Myself, co-founder and managing director, um, and our chief scientific officer, who's uh, Dr. David Woodward, and is a reader at Ulster University. He was also my PhD supervisor. He's been running the highways laboratory there for 30 plus years um, and is a leading academic in um, highways surfaces, in particular surface characteristics, skid resistance and friction. One of the main purposes of bar 3 is to take the research from academia to industry. We focus on non-standard 
So we're essentially an independent testing company and consultancy service and specialising in non-standard testing methods. We have access to, as I said, the Ulster University's highway laboratories, and we take a research-based approach to highway material testing um, and highway material development. Really, we're using 30 years' worth of research projects and and PhDs, masters, to develop a data-driven method to make roads, runways and racetracks uh, surfaces safer and appropriate for use. Why has what you're doing become more important over the last few years? The last few years, um, certainly in the last what, 13 years or so of the age of austerity in the UK, um, where local authorities and robot, road operators are constantly being tasked with the, the horrible phrase of doing more with less. Finding new ways to look at highway engineering, road surfaces in particular, uh, has become essential for them. What we've been doing is building up this massive database of knowledge and building new technologies at the university and presenting it as academic papers and academic journals and and academic conferences, but with very little engagement from industry itself. Although the Highways Lab and and Dr. Woodward's been doing quite a lot of work for 20, 30 years with different massive companies in the UK in terms of material development, material testing, um, and consultancy services, it's never really been commercialised. We've really been trying to take that to help local authorities, to help road operators, to help highways engineers improve what they're doing. And now as well with the environmental concerns that are becoming more and more prevalent, simply ripping up roads isn't really acceptable anymore. Shipping materials such as aggregates and bitumen great distances just to tick a box because that's what the, the material testing specification said we had to have. If it's, you know, if we're thinking about things like polished stone values um, and abrasion values, it's not really good enough anymore. So highway engineers need to start looking at new ways to do things and working into new technologies and really start thinking about their assets as a whole. And that's what we've been hearing from industry, which is why we feel that R3 can help bridge that gap and fill that need. And when designing roads, they've got to ensure longevity and from the asphalt and really get as much value out of it as possible and look at things like preventative maintenance instead of said just ripping it up and looking, is there a better way than just specifying standard material testing? Can we look to do things like performance testing instead to deliver better materials, better road surfaces, and better construction methods from local authority teams or from principal contractors or from other surface treatment companies that are out there? The local authorities and road operators need to start holding these suppliers and contractors to, to account and looking for a performance-based specification to produce better road surfaces and better value for money. As well as that, in general, the road industry is, without causing any offence to anybody, is is decades behind other related industries, such as vehicle and tyre manufacturers. And you look how how far on cars and lorries have come compared to 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And even in terms of tyre technology, how how far on tyre technology has moved on, well, Essentially, road construction has basically stayed exactly the same. On this podcast in the last few weeks, Campbell, uh, we've heard how local authorities have been making better use of all the surface treatments at their disposal. So I guess what you're talking about is how you can further support that with, uh, with new ideas and new solutions. There's lots and lots of really good surface treatments available on the market and some really excellent companies who are creating some great innovations and making some big strides forward. But it's really about making sure you can address the underlying issue by selecting the correct treatment. And that's something that R3 can absolutely help with, is identifying 
underlying issue, whether that's structural or a material failure, for example, we can help to ensure that the highways engineers understand the issues. Um, and then once they've chosen the surface treatment, help them monitor the asset and, then, and the performance of that treatment. And it's also something we can help with in terms of monitoring surfaces as part of a whole overall asset management scheme and um, to ensure that the warranty from the contractor or from the supplier is fully met through performance-based specifications. So it's, it's moving away from material-based and individual-based specifications to an overall performance-based specification that can really help turn value for money and deliver whole life cost savings for the asset. And, and tell us about the work you've been doing in Formula One and on, on racetracks and runways around the world and how really we can learn from that in the highway sector. We do quite a bit of work with motorsport, particular government governing bodies to help them understand the surface characteristics of racetracks. So at the moment, we're an affiliate of the FIA um, and member of the FIA industry working group. And we're looking at racetrack safety as an overall. Um, we, from our point of view, we, we, we put in um, our technical experience with asphalt um, and with racetrack surfaces and surface characteristics. Um, and there's lots of different projects that are ongoing there um, looking at how to improve safety from the closed environment of a racetrack. We also do quite a lot of work for, we work for Formula One directly, um, helping them with surface characteristics. And we do some work with different race teams at different levels of motorsport, um, as well as racetrack operators themselves. And really what we're doing is we're taking a transfer of knowledge from the road and airport industry and taking it over to motorsport and vice versa. What we're learning is the motorsports fraternity um, and industry as a whole, they work very closely with vehicle manufacturers and with tyre technology, but they don't really do much with this from the surface side of things. So they're very big on the data that, data that can be collected from the cars. So they're essentially using their vehicles as massive sensors to collect big data, which they then use to use improve performance. But one of the things that I would suspect is further down the line is, is taking that data because the same sensors are being placed on everyday road vehicles now and taking that data and bringing it to the highways industry as a whole and looking at that as a way of, of measuring road surface failures, effectiveness of road surface treatments and the three key condition areas, if you like, of um, skid resistance, rolling resistance and noise. Generally speaking, we use specialist techniques in motorsport that we've developed through our research to model surface characteristics for the purposes of understanding tyre wear and degradation to improve performance in motorsport as well as to check up on their tyre suppliers and that ties directly into the next big environmental issue that we are starting to see coming through that's going to be facing the the road industry which is pollution from tyre microparticles uh, so obviously we've had Plastics and microplastics and microparticles being identified as a big issue that are going into our oceans and into our water streams. But we have the same issue from road tyres. So as a tyre degrades as it's going along a road, it produces microparticles which get into the water courses, get into the air and cause pollution. And there's growing levels of environmental concern about how, how dangerous uh, and how the, ongoing, the future effects of, of these microparticles are going to be. So the tyre industry is already working on this. It's the next big environmental issue that they see. But one thing I've not heard is many people from the road industry discussing it. And the road surface obviously plays a big part in the re release of microparticles from the tyres because they're generated from the contact with the surface. So the more abrasive uh, surface is, uh, then the more microparticles are released. And that's something that's, that we're learning from motorsport and from vehicle construction that's starting to come back over. Another thing that we're sort of seeing is... Uh, 
the importance of simulation and the simulated environment. So um, in vehicle design and vehicle dynamics and entire manufacturing, um, 95% of vehicles now are constructed in a simulated environment. Essentially, they all have big simulation programs, which are software, which is running and simulated examples of how a tire will perform in terms of vehicle dynamics, stresses, instead of actually running it on a a proving ground. And then finding the correlation between that simulated environment and a real-life highway, for example, that's something that we're working on to help bridge the gap between the two to improve the simulations, which will then improve the vehicles that are produced, which will then improve the tyres that are being used as well. And you're not just UK-based, are you? We're also working as asphalt technical consultants on a big project called the Mandalika Street Circuit in Lombok, Indonesia. And we're part of a team um, working under Mark One, who's a consulting company who are operating, going to be operating the event, and with the racetrack designers um, driven as well. Part of what we're doing is this is going to be MotoGP's first ever street track. So it's quite a big project. But working with the Indonesian principal contractor, we're tasked to deliver a high grip, very smooth and consistent asphalt surface for the racetrack. Part of what we're doing is we're using new construction technology and techniques. So engaging with the supply chain and to bring in these new technologies and techniques that are not commonly used in the UK and Europe and definitely not in Indonesia at the moment. Part of that is based around specifying performance-based criteria to ensure that the surface is going to be suitable for high-quality racing. And we're using methods that are commonly used on airports anyway and sometimes used on roads in other parts of the world and bringing them together to create a system that will give us one of the best racing surfaces in the world. So we're looking at things like IRI for roughness measurements, and looking at smoothness, specifying smoothness, uh, as well as things like mean texture depth and skid resistance levels, and taking construction technologies and techniques that can then be taken back to highways to build better quality, longer lasting roads. So examples of this would be using simple practices like just running pavers in echelon to reduce joints, which if we did that, if we could get over the political hurdle, particularly in the UK, of having road closures that were big road closures. So if we had shorter road closures for shorter periods of time, but complete closures, we could run, for example, a motorway. We could repave in echelon, reduce the number of joints, do a smaller section over the course of a whole night and potentially produce a surface that's going to be smoother. It's going to last longer and it's going to require less maintenance. And that's done in some European countries already, but it's something that we're that we could try to look at here, which will help extend the life and the quality of the asphalt. That's Campbell Waddle, Managing Director of R3 Limited, and uh, he rounds off this latest Highways Voices. Thank you for listening. Don't forget TTFM Wednesday and Thursday nights, and they'll be uh, streaming right here on the highwaysnews.com website, and we'll even, as I say, try to use some of what we hear in future Highways Voices. But for now, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on whichever you're is your favourite podcast platform and tell your friends about us as well. All the best. We'll talk next week. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry.